Hello, everybody, and welcome to Kickback, your global anti-corruption podcast. Enjoy today's episode of this joint production of the Interdisciplinary Corruption Research Network and the Global Anti-Corruption Blog. You can subscribe to the show via Spotify, SoundCloud or iTunes. If you like what we do, leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you want to get in touch with the show, follow us on Facebook or send an email to info at icrnetwork.org. Greetings, and welcome to our latest episode of Kickback, the Global Anti-Corruption Podcast. This is Matthew Stevenson, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Bien, who is the founder and executive director of a non-governmental organization in Vietnam called Towards Transparency. Towards Transparency is an affiliate and partner with the broader Transparency International Movement, which has been operating in Vietnam for, I believe, 10 years now. Is that correct? correct. Terrific. So, Fien, thank you very much for making time to speak with me today. I'd like to start out by asking you to tell me and our listeners a bit about yourself and how you got interested in the issue of corruption and anti-corruption and what led you to found Towards Transparency. Thank you for the opportunity, Matthew. Let me start by saying that there are many factors that uh, make me decide to form towards transparency. But for the today's opportunity, maybe I could like to highlight one important factor to me. Towards transparency, like you are aware, already was established 10 years ago. So in summer 2007, I went back to my home province, which is in northern of Vietnam, that shares border with southern China, where I met with a woman and she has uh, three kids, and she was in tears. And I asked what is going on, and she said that she lost a plot of land, the only tune of living for herself and her family. And after three years, she still have no access to it and no compensation whatsoever by the government. And I said, I asked her, so why don't you go to the local government and ask for compensation? And she said, you are crazy. If I go empty-handed, without any envelope, I could be framed as a troublemaker. And as a consequence, my son dossiers for university could be rejected without any government stamp. And for us, for my son going to university is the only, only way to escape the poverty. And then she cried again and cried again. And then I thought, but come on, it, it was 2007. And 2005, two years before, Vietnam already have law on its corruption. So what is going on here? Maybe there is a lack of government information reaching the citizens. So the meeting with this woman really prompted the creation of an independent organization. And I thought uh, Vietnam at the time needed an organization or a body that do awareness raising that promote transparency and challenge corruption. And soon after that, the name of such organization presented itself towards transparency. So when you founded Towards Transparency, was it the first independent citizens organization in Vietnam working on corruption, anti-corruption issues, or were there other organizations 
already addressing these issues to some extent or another that you could work with or collaborate with? Mm, no. At that time, we was the, the first one. Uh, and indeed, at that time, there was quite a number of independent organizations working on a range of development issues like health, education, gender, but none was working specifically on anti-corruption. So therefore, it was lots of challenges. And remember that 10 years ago, the word corruption was in a taboo. And registering an organization working on this issue under the formal umbrella agency was impossible. So therefore, we came up with very, very innovative legal status. So I registered towards transparency as a company. And upon reflection, I think it was a very, very uh, smart uh, decision to do. So between when you founded the organization 10 years ago and today, uh, what would you say have been the highest priority issues that you and your colleagues in the organization have focused on? Because obviously there are many corruption challenges in Vietnam in a variety of sectors, but as a new organization, a relatively small organization, there's only so much that you can do. So can you talk a little bit about where you have put your energy, attention, and resources? I think this question is very interesting. And indeed, any non-governmental organizations face with resource constraint, and we have to select our areas of intervention strategically and practically. So basically, we focus on four areas. One, making sure that anti-corruption legislation of Vietnam meets international standards, but also need to be reinforced. So in this uh, regard, we are working, for example, supporting anti-corruption agency and other ministries to work on uh, access to information law, but also law on anti-corruption. Next to that, the second area of work is to make sure that private sector is not immune from corruption. So we promote a practice of clean business, doing business with integrity. And the next, uh, the third area, that is looking much more ahead. We believe that anti-corruption cannot be successful if the citizens and especially young people are not embraced the value of integrity and support anti-corruption movement. So therefore, in a country like Vietnam, where we have more than 50% of, of citizens are young people, so we focus on teaching youth integrity. Lastly, and that is also very interesting for us, we promote the concept of openness, and we are doing this through the initiative, Open Government Initiative. And when we move into this direction, we can bring so many other actors on board to promote collectively the government openness. So, four areas, yes. I would love to ask you about all of those areas of focus, but before I do, one question I wanted to ask, based on what you said a moment ago about how when you started towards transparency, talking about corruption was taboo. People didn't want to speak about it. And my question is whether that's changed in the 10 years since you founded the organization. Do you find that in the public discourse in Vietnam, by the government or in the media or elsewhere, people are now more willing to talk openly about the problem of corruption, the importance of fighting corruption? Or do you feel that it's still viewed in many quarters as a taboo subject that you need to talk about in a roundabout way or through euphemism or indirectly? 
I must say that situation is changing. Ten years ago, it was a taboo. Now, I think talking about corruption, anti-corruption is still a sensitive issue. However, the situation is positively changing. Lots more reports about corruption coming out. Media can talk more about it. And citizens, also drivers in the street, talk about it. And you might ask why. I guess the thanks to social media in this country, but I also assume that the contribution of our work also push for more space for discussion. For example, in early days, in 2008, 2009, 2010, we realized at that time that there was no evidence of corruption in this country. And people talk and, and, and government formulated anti-corruption policies without any evidence. So the first thing we did at that time was choosing se sectors like education, like health, and we identify forms of corruption in this uh, public sector that affected the people. And we use our report findings to discuss with the media and engage with the government, created lots of discussions in the country about the issue. So yes, situation is changing. So part of the change in the situation, it sounds like you're saying happened externally to your work, but also it sounds like you're saying it was your work, or you like to think that your work and that of other organizations in this area that helped change this to, to eliminate some of the taboos about speaking about corruption openly and debating that problem. Is that a fair characterization? Maybe I need to clarify, okay. take one step back. I need sure. to clarify a little bit. Uh, we contribute to it, but doesn't mean that the government or the party did not do anything, right? I think in Vietnam, we have to be aware that the Communist Party of Vietnam has very strong anti-corruption policies and direction. And perhaps even looking back in 1945, since Ho Chi Minh founded the nation, right? When Vietnam uh, gained independence from the French back in 2005, Ho Chi Minh already talked about anti-corruption actions. And later in the Communist Party uh, Direct um, Party Congress, back in after Doi Mới, which is more than 20 years ago, the government already talked about and considered corruption as a threat to the very survival of the regime. And therefore, they came up with range of actions in policy and actions in legal framework. So I, I like to say that what we are doing is to contribute to the government and the party efforts. So maybe it's, it's a fair way to, to say that. that. I, yeah. I understand. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like the government already considered corruption an important issue. But despite that fact, 10 years ago, it was too sensitive to form an independent citizens group that focused on corruption specifically, and so you needed to be cautious. But it sounds like in the 10 years, you're saying it's become easier to speak openly about corruption, that, so, that you and others have helped erode to some degree the taboos about having those discussions in the public space. Is that a fair characterization? Yes. And I could like to add that through the journey of 10 years, we have also gone very far. And maybe one of the things that help us keep going is to identify and to work in partnership with many actors in the society. And how did we do that? We build trust with different actors. So first, to move back a little bit, to build trust with Transparency International, right? So I needed at that time to get Transparency International trusting us and have the presence in Vietnam to create change. And then we build trust 
with partner organizations. And one needs also to be aware that back then, we, together with Transparency International, developed the first anti-corruption strategy of Transparency International in Vietnam in 2009. And for the one full year from 2008, when we were established, until 2009, me and my colleague work on voluntary basis. And at that time also, nobody, it was very sensitive. So we had only one partner organization who was indicating their willingness to work with us. So situation is changing, changing now. So I'm quite, quite glad. But it doesn't mean that without challenges. Yeah. One mm. thing that you mentioned a moment ago in terms of the things the organization has been doing mm. was uh, working with the government or providing input to the government on important legal reforms, things like the Freedom of Information Law or the new anti-corruption law. And uh, just a moment ago, you alluded again to finding ways to collaborate or work with the government. And I wanted to ask you about that, about how you as an independent citizens group, civil society, uh, find ways to work with the government on such a sensitive issue in a political environment like Vietnam's. Because I think it's fair to say uh, many, though not all of our listeners, are probably from Western liberal democracies. And in those countries, there may be some initial skepticism that it would be possible in a country like Vietnam for an independent civil society organization to operate effectively and certainly to have significant influence with the government on such a sensitive issue. So I think it would be helpful if you could talk a little bit both about the challenges that you face operating as a civil society organization in a place like Vietnam on an issue like this, and then also what you think you've nonetheless been able to accomplish and why in terms of dealing with the government or having influence over the government where you can't do what civil society groups can do in Western liberal democracies, which is things like try to mobilize voters, for example, or, or try to threaten to donate to somebody else's campaign or all the other things that citizen groups can do in democracies, you can't do. So what is it that gives you your access to government decision makers? What enables you to have any sort of influence? Or, or do you think you have a significant degree of influence? Well, I think this question is very complex. And let me try to unpack it. As I mentioned earlier, in early days, we already tried to build trust. And we believe that without trust, you cannot do business together. So from the early days, we already took actions to desensitize the word corruption and to desensitize Transparency International in Vietnam. So we organized many events and talks in a closed door with the government to familiarize the government and key anti-corruption actors in Vietnam for the work of Transparency International. Nevertheless, even now, Transparency International in Vietnam does not have yet the formal recognition. No, so one should not forget this. Yeah. So trust building, I think, is very important. Another thing I feel, you need to push for boundary and you need to be proactive. So let's say when the government of Vietnam was revising the anti-corruption legislation framework, for example, the law on access to information, we contacted them and we offer our support and we, we try to understand the challenges they face. And I think that we have managed to achieve impacts that many, even international organizations in Vietnam, could not have. I give a concrete example. 
the law on access to information took more than 10 years in this country to have. So, of course, freedom of expression, the right to access to information was already mentioned in the Constitution, but the lawmaking process took more than 10 years. And when we talk with the government, the government initially welcomed our action, but they said that it's very sensitive, so no, no foreigners was allowed. We said that, but how about we engage the top international experts, like the way we did with anti-corruption law uh, influencing process, and we, we don't need to have media presence. We just tried to engage him and to see what kind of challenges you face. Number one, we did law analysis, we provide input, but also we, we bring in international experts and address their challenges on the spot. So no media, no MOU, no formal uh, engagement. So I guess maybe it is the way of engagement. And sometimes you don't need recognition for yourself. But what you bring, bring added value and be of help to the concerned agency. What ends? I think also in the context of Vietnam, uh, we always avoid unnecessary confrontational approach and no name shaming, no name shaming. So in Asian context, you know, the uh, losing face is very important, right? So we avoid confrontational and always provide critical but constructive advice or comments. So I guess maybe it is appreciated. The manner in which we engage is appreciated. But Rome wasn't built in one day. It took us many years to be able to, to engage. And the trust building process took more than maybe eight, seven years. So we always engage, but not until recently in 2007 and 2008. And now we managed to get where we have direct contact with the government without having donors support. So in terms of your um, engagement with the government and your discussions, I'd be, I'd be curious to know what would you consider your greatest successes? What are some examples of places where, and you don't necessarily have to talk about your organization mm -hmm. specifically if you feel uncomfortable taking sole credit, but where you feel like in Vietnam, the civil society community, citizens groups working on anti-corruption have achieved a real tangible change in laws or regulations or enforcement policies. If you wanted to talk about what you think of as your, your biggest successes, and I'll talk in a moment about disappointments and challenges, but let's start out on a positive note. What would you identify as what you think of as the Vietnamese anti-corruption civil society community's greatest successes in terms of influencing government anti-corruption law or policy? I think we need to be aware that there are many civil society organizations in Vietnam working on the issue of people participation, on the issue of gender equality, on the issue of health and education, and on the governance. However, in terms of pushing for anti-corruption legislation, there is very small number of independent organizations working on this issue. More specifically, very small number of organizations working together with towards transparency to push for the law on access to information. However, in terms of influencing the law on, on anti-corruption, we feel that we don't have lots of alliances uh, in this uh, regard. So maybe collectively, I think we have achieved quite a bit of success 
I, I cannot claim that it's a big success, uh, but from towards transparency, legal analysis, like 13 recommendations of our report that were taken by the government in the final version of the law on access to information. So I think it's a success. Talking about ourselves, I think another, maybe this is what makes me proud, and I could like to, to mention uh, this example, is where towards transparency shadow report on how government of Vietnam implemented ANCAC. The UN Convention Against it's Corruption. Exactly, for UN, people who don't UN, UN Conven United Nations Convention on Anti-Corruption uh, was also a success process, in both in terms of technical input we provided, also in terms of engagement. So back in 2011, we did a shadow report, and we were very nervous because at that time, the relationship between TT and the anti-corruption agency was not yet at this positive stage. So we did, and we had many, many sensitive data in the report, and we didn't know if, how it could be perceived by the government. But at the end, I think the government anti-corruption agency took our report, and they took the majority of our recommendation as when well in the final government implementation uh, report. And this example was also recognized by uh, UN uh, ODC. Yeah. So I, I just asked you to reflect on positive things, accomplishments and successes. Let me now turn it around and ask you about what you think over the last 10 years or more that you've been working with towards uh, tr transparency are your biggest frustrations or disappointments, the areas where you had really hoped and maybe even expected to make more progress than you have, or where you really feel like not enough is being done uh, and you're not having the kind of impact that you would like, and then maybe reflect a little bit on why you think it is that in those areas you have not been able to achieve the kinds of tangible successes you've been able to achieve with respect to things like changing the freedom of information law or influencing the UNCAC uh, evaluation implementation, for example? Where do you feel like uh, you've had the most frustration or disappointment in the work that you've been trying to do over the last 10 plus years? Well, talking about frustration and the expectations are not being met, right? How shall I start? I think, firstly, I could like to mention that anti-corruption has been on Communist Party and on the government agenda for, for many years already, right? And many actions have been taken to tackle corruption. But I think regardless of how many efforts have been put in, I think one of the things that not only frustrates our organization, but also the citizens in this country, that is the issue of petty corruption. And I think corruption in Vietnam is still considered not only by experts and by independent anti-corruption organizations like us, but also by the Communist Party itself as a systemic problem. And according to Transparency International, you know, like Vietnam last year, you know, scored only 33 out of 100, 100 being most clean, right? So we are still, and for many recent years, we constantly rank very poor in the country. So I think in terms of petty corruption, there is no evidence to suggest that uh, corruption level going down. And we conducted, for example, in 2017, the survey, a part of Transparency International Global Corruption Barometers, and we wrote the Vietnam's analysis. And we found that 
66% of Vietnamese citizens had to pay bribes in the previous year when accessing public sector. And the citizens meet with corruption on a daily basis, you know, in accessing uh, health care, in accessing education, and in dealing with traffic police. So I think the level of frustration of our organization and of the people is very, is very high to the extent that the citizens feel that, you know, they cannot do anything about it. So first, what I mentioned is about petty corruption problem is, is still there. The challenge number two that we feel we have achieved a bit, but still very slow, that is engaging non-state actors in anti-corruption. We believe that corruption can only be successful if it is embraced and if it is supported by a wide range of actors in the society. So in a country like Vietnam, business actors, for example, role in anti-corruption is very weak, and most of the businesses didn't benefit from the system. And when, for example, we organized events workshop to talk about this, we often see very little presence of private sector in the room. So we feel that they don't really care. So in that sense, I think we need to recognize that towards transparency and other actors in the development community and so government have already achieved to include or to expand scope of corruption to cover private sector. But in reality, to handle this issue is, is very, very challenging. What else I could like to mention is the space for civil society. Again, it's, it's very big. It's, it's a very big challenge. Not many organizations are actually be invited by the government to give input or to hear them out. Whereas over the time, over the past 10 years, we see an increase in number of organizations started to show more interest and they engage more in governance issue. Like not only us, but there are a number of our friends and colleagues in other organizations. They also engage in documenting the corruption problems and they also engage in mobilizing citizens in revealing or exposing the problems of governance. But in those conversations by the government, I think their presence is not really welcome. So I think it's still a ways to go in terms of engaging citizens into the fight against corruption. Let me ask you, in terms of addressing those challenges, maybe especially the first one, maybe to some degree the second one, will the new anti-corruption law that was adopted last year, which amended a, a previous anti-corruption law, it wasn't the first anti-corruption law, but the major revisions to the anti-corruption law that were recently adopted, do you think that these will help? Or maybe let me ask you more generally to say a bit more about this law, because you've mentioned it uh, several times, but I think probably most of our listeners are not really aware of the Vietnamese anti-corruption legal framework or what this legal reform did. So can you say a little bit about what you think the most important features of this law are. Again, it's, it's long and complicated, and I don't want you to try to summarize the whole thing, but, yeah. but focus on what you think are the most important reforms and your current assessment of how much you think this law will help address some of the problems you just identified. Again, especially the problem of petty corruption continuing to be pervasive throughout Vietnamese society, such that close to two-thirds of Vietnamese individuals when surveyed report that somebody in their household had to pay a bribe to a public official within the last year. So, so talk a little bit about this new law. What did it do? 
how much do you think it will help? Uh, where do you think we need, or Vietnam needs further legal reform that goes beyond what was done in the most recent revision? I think it's very important question that you raised. In terms of anti-corruption law, I think one needs to be aware that Vietnam gone through a number of revisions. First, it started, the first law of Vietnam was, came about in 2005 and then was revised in 2007. And then in 2012, it was revised again until the fourth revision took place and it was approved in 2018. I think the main change, the few, there are few main changes in the law uh, compared to a previous version. I think the biggest change perhaps in terms of recognition of the role of private sector in anti-corruption. So as probably many people are aware, the definition of corruption in Vietnam mainly focuses on corruption in public sector, right? So this one has been expanded and addressed also private sector corruption. So I think change number one. I think positive change number two is introducing preventive measures to deal with corruption. That is the issues of conflict of interest. So in the past, we, we did not hear any word conflict of interest in the law, and now it's there. And there is a whole range of articles talking what is a conflict of interest in Vietnamese definition and how to prevent it from happening and what could be a mechanism. So I think it's also very important and uh, legal change. Another one is the access uh, declaration of public officials. Even though Vietnam new anti-corruption law is not yet at the level of international standard where assets declared by public officials is fully accessible by public, but we are on that process. And I think there are also more severe sanctions imposed on phones declaration. So I think there are a number of, of new things that you can observe into the law. So answering your another aspect of your question, to which extent I see the impacts, the future impacts of this law to address the challenges, right? if I understand your question correctly. I think the key problems in Vietnam is not about lacking legislation, but is about re-implementation. How to make sure that the law will be reinforced. And number one, the law has to be strong and quality enough. And how to make sure that there will be incentive by public officials, right, to implement the law. That is, that is one. And also, in order for the law to be implemented, there are so many other conditions in place. So I, I think it is too early to say how the law will bring about impact. But I hope with the current drive of anti-corruption, I hope the law will be implemented in a manner that will, will help addressing the challenges that I mentioned. Still, corruption at the petty level, you know, day-to-day -day corruption, I'm not sure the law is the answer because, as you know, the situation in Vietnam, I think we became, Vietnam became a middle-income country for some years, but I think the, the incentive of public officials, you know, to, to operate the machine in a way that, you know, it, it makes corruption the only way for citizens to do business. So I'm, I'm very concerned that petty corruption is in is a big problem in the years to come.
You mentioned in the context of this new anti-corruption law that one of the issues is that even if you have good quality laws in the books, the implementation enforcement can be a, a challenge. And this relates to something that I've certainly read about the Vietnamese anti-corruption system. I can't claim to be an expert, but one of the criticisms that I've read about the anti-corruption system in Vietnam is that there are too many institutions, too many government institutions with overlapping authority or unclear authority that creates, again, both overlaps and, and gaps. And I want to get your view, and I think our listeners would be interested as well, about the extent to which this is a problem. And if so, can you explain a little bit, without going to all the complexities because it's too much, but to give us a sense of what are the institutions in the Vietnamese government that are supposed to address corruption issues, and how or why do these concerns about too many agencies with conflicting or unclear, inconsistent authority tend to arise? Actually, it is one of the challenges facing in anti-corruption anti reform in Vietnam, right? I think it's an institutional incoherence. Indeed, I think you are very correct in pointing out that there are so many institutions working on anti-corruption in Vietnam, and there is no specialized anti-corruption agency. So according to the Communist Party, anti-corruption is a task of entire political system, of entire sectors, and of entire society. So therefore, anti-corruption is tasked with many institutions. For example, you have institutions under the Communist Party, like inspection commission. Then you also have anti-corruption under the government which is executive. So you have government inspectorate responsible for inspect administrative inspections. But at the same time, they also have unit on anti-corruption. And you talk about Ministry of Public Security, then so have an unit dealing with corruption investigation, then public procuracy, and then state audit, right? So just name a few. So on, it is not clear how the coordination of all these agencies, the coordination is, is conducted, and it makes anti-corruption works very complicated. And we also need to mention that the role and also the capacity of anti-corruption agencies or units of those institutions under the party pillar and under the, the executive, under the government pillar, is also very limited. So lack of mandate, lack of clarity in the mandate creates a big challenge. And also lack of power or competencies and lack of independence as well, right? So many complexity making it very, very difficult institutionally to work on an anti-corruption, even though anti-corruption is, like anti-corruption uh, reform now, is spearheaded by the highest level of the party leadership, which is Secretary General. But I think it's still a big challenge. From the moment the sign of corruption is identified by inspection inspectorate, and it passed on to the investigation force within the public uh, security. And after that, how it works with other prosecution and Supreme Court is very, it's, it's not easy to, to follow. Will the new anti-corruption law help with respect to these institutional organizational issues? Uh, do you see reforms happening in that law? Are there other laws that are currently under consideration that will address these problems? Or do you feel like this is an area where uh, the Vietnamese government and parties still haven't figured out 
that it's not just about improving the substantive law, but they also need to reform the institutions in the way you just described. I think it's, it's uh, already included in the new law, so it's also uh, uh, an important change in, in the law. So there is one article, maybe Article 28 or 78, talking about anti-corruption institutional coordination. So I think it's, it's, again, I think it's a good step. However, the challenge is in the detail. What we feel missing in the under law guidelines. So in Vietnam, the legal system works in a way that you have the law and then you need to develop the implement, implementation degree to guide how the law will be uh, implemented. So what we have discovered is that in the first draft of the implementation degree, they forgot to mention how that article on institutional coordination of different anti-corruption agencies will be coordinated. So in other words, there is no guidelines to guide the coordination. And we have pointed out, and I hope that the final version of the implementation degree will pick up on our recommendation. Let me ask another question about anti-corruption enforcement in Vietnam, and it's inspired in part by what we see to your north in China, which of course has had a very aggressive anti-corruption campaign for a while. This question is inspired in part by what you just said a moment ago about how the Communist Party's Disciplinary Inspection Committee ends up doing a lot of the anti-corruption work. This has also been true in China for the last several years, although we've recently seen efforts to try to institutionalize and legalize anti-corruption a bit more. But really my question is this. In countries like China and elsewhere, although many people support efforts to crack down on corruption, there are concerns about a couple of related things. One is that there might be politicization or political bias in the enforcement of anti-corruption laws without sufficient checks built into the system to ensure that the attempt to crack down on corruption is not misused to go after certain political factions. The second is a more general concern about the rights of suspects and the rights of defendants. And even though many of us, including many of our listeners, probably believe strongly in aggressive anti-corruption enforcement, nonetheless, there are issues related to the fair treatment of those who are under investigation or who are accused. And I ask this in part because, again, the reference to the Communist Party disciplinary inspection uh, process made me think of concerns that have been raised with respect to China, where especially since the disciplinary inspection process is taking place outside of the court system without even the minimal judicial safeguards that, that you would see in that system, implicates all of these concerns. So recognizing that maybe something of a sensitive question, can you say anything about the extent to which these concerns are also present in Vietnam, and what, if anything, either citizen organizations like yours or the government itself might be doing to address the concerns about, let's call it, anti-corruption investigations gone wrong? Again, let me try to, to shape my answer. Uh, indeed, since 2000, 2016, the Communist Party of Vietnam, headed by the top leadership, started the crackdown on high-profile corruption cases. And it is quite unprecedented in anti-corruption history of Vietnam, right? So you saw perhaps the first ever the person in a position like even among the 19 most powerful 
members of Politburo and who was the Secretary General of Ho Chi Minh City that was put in jail. And in addition, you saw also the former ministers and former, prime, former vice ministers who were also prosecuted and became the victims of the, of the campaign of the crackdown. And lots of people argue that or said that, well, is it a general motivation or is it infighting? And perhaps it's true in both sense, because we should not forget that prior to the current Secretary General become in position, Vietnam had faced two terms of previous uh, Prime Minister who actually ignored lots of direction uh, from the party. So there was a belief that this crackdown actually targeted those cronies of the previous Prime Minister. And uh, it also raised a question of to which extent on the high-profile cases that was on prosecution and were put in jail in a fair and just manner, right? So uh, we don't have sufficient evidence. We, to a transparency, don't investigate. And we don't have also resources to go into this direction. In my opinion, I think if the corrupt officials are put in jail and this guy cracked down, if it is handled in a just and impassioned manner, it should be welcome. However, I also feel that successful anti-corruption campaign or anti-corruption efforts should go beyond that. Prevention should take place, should be rooted in prevention so that all these kind of crimes could not happen in the first place, right? And I think also the, there should be efforts to allow media, to allow perspective rather than the, the party and the, the government to, to share and to view and to contribute to the anti-corruption. So I, I think successful anti-corruption need to be moved beyond the crackdown to be sustainable. We're almost to the end of our time together, but before we conclude, I, I wanted to just ask one more thing, uh, or maybe a couple things. And really, not many people, even the people who study the issue of corruption, know a lot about what's happening in Vietnam and know what organizations like yours are doing, which is one of the reasons I'm very glad we were able to sit down together today to have this conversation. And before we close our interview, I wanted to give you the opportunity to first say if there's any lesson to be learned or advice you would have to give to other organizations working in other countries about what they can learn from the experience of toward transparency here. So obviously no two countries are the same. You can't give very specific advice, but I think that many of our listeners may also be involved in the civil society or activist communities in other challenging environments. So I wanted to first give you an opportunity to say what one or two big lessons do you think can be learned from your work and experience here that might be useful to others? And second, what message would you like to give to maybe other members of the international community in terms of what they could best do to support efforts like those of your organization and others who are working to make progress on the corruption issue in challenging environments like Vietnam? So again, it's kind of two questions, but both of them have the theme of what uh, message would you want to send to a broader international audience, both about what lessons they can learn from your experiences here and also what the international community can do to support people like you and your organization who are working on these issues in these kinds of countries? 
I think in terms of lessons, again, uh, it is just based on our personal experience, right? our experience and journey that we we traveled for the past 10 years. I guess what I wanted to say is that you need to push the boundary. You need to embrace the space and embrace the power. Usually power don't give, it's not given to you, but you have to capture it and to push for the boundary. Even in the context like Vietnam, we are being able to do something. And I believe that by persistence and by being patient and by being also working outside of your of your comfort zone, you can push for the change to happen. Perhaps it's a, the first message. I guess second lesson I could like to share is that bring added value, be constructive. And when you are being professional, you can bring added value for the work of people, then you can also contribute for a change. And perhaps the last lesson I find is that you cannot lump government in own basket. I think there are so many reformers within the government. So look for those champions within the government and build alliance with them to work with them to push for change. So I believe that civil society and reformers within the government can work together to push for change. And turning to your second question, how the international community can best do to support civil society organizations like to work transparency. So maybe I could like to share a few thoughts for two different groups of international communities. Perhaps first is the academics, international academic community. I think, as I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, we always need support and engagement from academists in order to come up with more evidence and in order to understand the, the issue of corruption lots more. Because we feel that maybe corruption innovate maybe faster than anti-corruption. So how we can look for ways to come up with new uh, research to address new form of corruption. Like the case in Vietnam, we face with maybe emerging issue of state capture. So how to help a country have lots more evidence and to help the country to rethink about anti-corruption approaches. Or when we talk about engaging other actors or show the consequences of corruption to the population. So how corruption really impact uh, women, how corruption really impact girls and boys differently. So I think this also the area that we need more input and support from international academic community. The second, and which is the last of my sharing, maybe to target the international donor community civil society in countries like Vietnam and perhaps in many other countries cannot survive without international donor moral and also financial support. We survive really on daily basis. We don't know if we can exist even next year. So we need also strong support from donor community to trust us and to go along the way with us. And together we can make a difference. I think that's a wonderful message on which to end our conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. So my guest today on this episode of Kickback, the Global Anti-Corruption Podcast, has been Bien, the founder and executive director of the Vietnamese anti-corruption NGO Towards Transparency. Bien, thank you again. I hope that we can continue this conversation at a future time. 
Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you.